Welcome back to the Rebootable Podcast. I'm Matt Gentile alongside Drew Stevens. Drew, it's been a while since we've last talked. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. Just taking this NBA offseason as it comes. There seems to be no, no shortage of, of news, whether it be major or just of the variety of Jimmy Butler doing the Dame Lillard, uh, you know, time's up celebration and feeding into that. Mm. Rumor that's been going on all summer, or you know the issues between Lonzo Ball and Stephen A. Smith. Oh. It's, it's just been, you know, it's, it's made this summer feel short um, as an NBA fan, to me at least, uh, knowing that the season is just around the corner. It, it is interesting. There's not like a big splash, you know, story going on. I feel like in years past we would have had like a major name either traded or somebody threatening to want to be traded. But like, I feel like everything's in a holding pattern with this Dame Willard stuff. So it's just kind of like you said, it's been like these little, you know, rumors and tidbits and, and small stuff. That's really kind of held us over. And you, you brought up Lonzo ball. I want to get to that, but real quick, before I do, I want to tease today's episode to the listeners a little bit today. Drew and I are going to do something really fun. We're going to rank our top five, role players on the Chicago Bulls. So um, not your your big three of Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic, but ranking those role players. So something a little different today because we haven't had a lot going on in Bulls Nation, except I feel like all that stuff with, with Lonzo Ball. So um, last week, of course, Stephen A. makes a comment about how Lonzo Ball is even struggling to you know, get out of his chair. And of course, Lonzo Ball, I thought, <laughs> responded with an awesome video, really funny mm-hmm. video, showing him getting up and down out of a chair. Um, and it's kind of, I think, caused a little bit of back and forth. Um, I guess, Drew, just real quick, your thoughts, because he's been making, it seems like, the rounds to Lonzo Ball talking about his recovery right now. What what have you taken away from some of the things he's been saying about that? I think just, just number one, the amount of confidence he's exuded in his ability to get back from injury and to play basketball again, I think just as someone who, you know, wants to see him get back to doing the thing that he loves and something that he's poured, you know, an endless amount of blood, sweat and tears into, I think you just, that has to make you feel pretty good. Or even if you, you know, are still, kind of on the fence about whether he can come back or not, or think that it's a pipe dream just to see him not giving in to the injuries and, and being willing to try different things. Um, a very rare type of surgery that not many players, if any have been able to come back from just to see him put that amount of, of work and dedication into getting back on the court um is really endearing uh just right off the bat and then just the the back and forth between him and Stephen A Stephen A has been really weird man i think he in trying to maybe save face with this whole thing and um make it about something other than what it started off being which was him hearing that Lonzo Ball couldn't stand up from a chair without some measure of difficulty. Like he's turned it or he did turn it into 
you know, him not being healthy enough to play and how many games he's missed over the course of his career and how much money he's owed from the Bulls versus the amount of games that he's played as a Bull just turned into something very weird. And, and to mm-hmm. me, it just was not a good look for Stephen A um, to double down the way that he did um, after Lonzo Ball had posted that video in response to his initial initial comment. Yeah, it's it's been very bizarre. Um, you know, and it, it's kind of interesting because we were talking a lot. Um, by the way, we forgot to mention this, that Drew and I, of course, we were on the, the Bulls Gold podcast uh, last week with our guys, uh, Salim Surtawala and Edward Schuler. Um, and it's kind of interesting because this all like kind of happened right after we recorded with them. Um, it's, you know, like I, first off with Stephen A, I, I don't know. I, years ago, you know, back in like the late nineties, early two thousands, Stephen A was actually a pretty reputable reporter and personality. Like, even though he's kind of gregarious and everything, he, he at least had some legitimacy to him as a NBA reporter. And I feel like nowadays he's just sort of like a, a sideshow and it's unfortunate because, um, I think he has knowledge, but now I think he just says things to get a reaction. I don't know. I kind of take things he says with a grain of salt anyway. What you said with Lonzo, you know, him being confident in his rehab, I'm glad he is. I mean, if he's going to come back from this, he has to be. That's the only, I think, thing that we have to hang our hat on at this point. And the only thing he can do is take it day by day. And if he's attacking rehab with confidence that he's going to get through it, um, it's, it's going to be a tough road. And, and I know I'm still a little pessimistic. No, I guess not pessimistic, maybe realistic, but I'm glad he's at least approaching it with, with a shred of confidence too. Yeah, absolutely. It's hard. You think of that kind of a road you have to go down where you're not, I mean, the odds are stacked against you. Nobody's done this. So <laughs> man, it, it just, Every time I hear him speak and every time, you know, that this is brought up or, or the topic is broached about you know, how many games he played for the Bulls and, and how much he's been out, it just it always depresses me because I think back to the beginning of this like new roster facelift and when it started and, and where we're at now always takes me back and makes me wonder, like, what if what if he was healthy? Yeah, man. Um, and he, he said as much just in his. Uh, appearance on Trey Young's podcast and talking about, you know, how he felt bad for the front office because they, you know, he feels like they put together a team that was tailor made for his game and his skill set. And, you know, it, it came and went in such a blink of blink of an eye. It's almost like, man, did that even happen? And you just hope that, you know, he's able to, make a return to the court and and be some semblance of the player that he showed everyone he could be during that 35 game stretch a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also just quick observation. It's, it's kind of amazing. Trey young has a podcast. Like what, what NBA player doesn't have a podcast right now? <laughs> I think that Zach Levine, DeMar <laughs> yeah, all the Chicago bulls don't have a podcast, <laughs> you know, um, I think, well, well, Pat Bev had his, right? Before yeah. he left. Yeah. So, you know, I, I've i noticed this, man. It, it's kind of cool. It's cool to get some, like, behind-the-scenes access and, like, 
more peer to peer talk. Um, you know, I still like to get my impartial coverage from, <laughs> from journalists, but it's also good to hear like players talking with players. Cause they tend to open up about certain things. So, um, yes. <laughs> but yeah, a little surprise. I guess I was not paying attention that Trey Young had a podcast. So yeah, me, me and you both. That was the that, that was the first time I realized that he had a podcast. So yeah. kudos to, to to Lonzo Ball for opening up that gateway to Chicago Bulls fans. I guess I don't know how many yeah. more people are going to be watching or checking for his podcast on a regular basis um, who are Bulls fans. But hey, <laughs> more. Uh, where are there more podcasts in the NBA players union amongst the NBA players union or amongst bulls content creators? Ooh. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of true. Like there's a lot of them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to, to kind of see what seems to happen with, with Lonzo ball and his rehab. And it's kind of nice. I, I, you know, hope to hear more from him and really kind of hear how things are going every step of the way. Cause um, it was kind of, you know, cool to to hear him talk about all that with Trey Young and and kind of make the rounds this past week and yeah, just good to hear. Like I said, mm-hmm. stay positive, Lonzo. So I definitely want to get to this this topic because getting into the different role players that are on the Chicago Bulls this year. So I think this is actually a good question to kind of kick things off. Would you have defined Lonzo Ball as the top role player on the Chicago Bulls? Uh, at the time he was brought in. Because I kind of think, like, we all look at that big three of DeMar, Vooch, and Levine, I think in a different light because they're all-stars. Would you have looked at Lonzo as, like, that next tier down, that, like, top-end role-player fringe all-star? Like, how how would you have rated him in in a pecking order? Knowing what we know now or going into that season? Going into that season. Yeah, Ooh. not um, not knowing what we know now, but going into that season. Like, would he have been your top role player or would he have been like a eh, different stratosphere maybe? So it's hard to <laughs> it's hard to erase those 35 games from memory, but I, I think I would have said he was their top role player just because um, there was still a lot of uncertainty about Kobe White, um, about Patrick Williams. We hadn't seen... Alex Caruso in a Bulls uniform yet uh, and, and the things that he's capable of doing and how much of a fan favorite he's become um, as well as just really another another glue piece that keeps these things from completely falling apart. Um, but yeah, I, I think I would have, I would have said he looked like, like the fourth guy in the pecking order behind mm-hmm. those three um uh, all stars and former all stars. Yeah, what like, about yeah, I, I think I'd put him there, and I'd say like it would be like that big gap from like one to then you know number two in terms of the the role player power rankings. Like, I think he probably separate himself, but I, I guess it kind of gets into the question like how do you define a role player, right? Um, I know for me, I look at role players as sort of uh, in the lens of you might have ones that are capable of making an all-star team, maybe like, you know, one of the last reserves voted in like that kind of grouping. Um, Mm -hmm. Like the way I've always looked at Luol Deng in the past, this is a great example. 
I always looked at him as like a top tier role player and he ended up breaking through and becoming an all-star caliber player, but I would have never put him in that like, you know, all-star superstar stratosphere. Um, so like to me, he was always a top tier role player. And I guess some people would argue like, well, doesn't Vooch fall in that category? I, I guess you could argue, but I feel like in the way that the Bulls have paid, you know, Vooch and um, kind of viewed Vooch in a larger lens, like it's kind of hard to put him in that kind of role player category. But I've always looked at it as those guys that maybe won't carry you in certain instances, but are going to um, really play a key complementary role to your top players on your roster. Um, and really fill out very important needs on your roster. Like, how would you define role player? Like, that's how I look at it. How would you define, a, I guess, a role player? Because there's gray area there. Yeah. Um, I think guys are just kind of filling the cracks that may exist around the bigger pieces on the team. Um, guys that kind of pick up the slack from those guys. Um, speaking of the Rose and Levine and Vucevic, like the things that they don't particularly do well, the role players um, kind of complement them in that regard. So, you know, when you got your three best players who aren't necessarily the best defenders, your role players have to be able to provide some sort of foundation there, whether it be out on the perimeter or in help defense. Um, a weak side defense, and then they also need to be able to knock down shots that are going to be available to them because of the amount of tension that the big three garners because of their um, offensive acumen. So I think just to, to simply put, just guys who fill in the cracks, whatever they may be, around each team's best players. I think that's a perfect way of describing it. Like you're there to fill those cracks in and fill the gaps that might be left from sometimes your superstars or your top players on your team, on your roster. Sometimes they have a deficiency. Rarely do you get the one that's like the five tool player. So mm -hmm. do you have those other guys that can make up for it? It's so like, I think that's a, a good, good description that you're using there. Fill in the cracks. Um, so, to kind of get into this exercise a little bit that, that Drew and I are about to do. So again, to reset from what I mentioned earlier, we're not including Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan and Nikola Vucevic into this ranking. We're only going to rank the top five role players. So some guys might be off the list that, you know, might be part of the regular rotation, but we're just ranking them and we're looking at it through the lens of the 2024 season. So you know, keep that in mind as we're going through this and we'll kind of have a conversation of, of that. We'll start with five and then work our way up to one. So we'll each share who we had at five and talk a little bit about that. So, um, Drew, do you want to like flip a coin or do you want to <laughs> kick it off? You want me to kick it off? Um, let's see. I think I'll go first. That way, when we get to number one, you're the last person to go because this was your yeah. idea. And I think it was a great, okay, a great concept that you came up with. Um, even though I guess at a certain point we're going to know or have a pretty good idea of who, who we've selected as the top two, top three um, okay. role player for the team coming up. 
just so the listeners know, we didn't share each other's list. We wanted to kind of save the raw reaction for when we recorded. We kind of have, I think, an idea of who's on our list. Like, I have a feeling we're going to have the same players on the list, just ranked differently. So this will be, a, I think, a fun a fun experience. So, um, <laughs> all right, let's kick it off. You can go ahead, Drew. Who's number five on your list and why? So my fifth most important role player for this upcoming Bulls season is Tory Craig. Okay. And I think he is that because I don't think that he's going to start. I think he's going to play a pivotal role for this team. But ultimately, I think Patrick Williams is going to be the starting four and the wing player who sees the most court time between the two. Um, obviously, barring any type of, of injury that may come up, um, I've got him slotted at, at the fifth spot. Great minds think alike. Yeah, I have Tory Craig also at number five. So... <laughs> You know, I've said this to you from the moment they signed him. I think he has a chance to crack the starting lineup or he's going to be a key piece off the bench. I, I do think Patrick Williams is going to get the opportunity to win that job. It doesn't mean they're going to give it to him. And Torrey Craig certainly has a chance to take it from him. But I think we might roll into training camp and preseason with Patrick Williams maybe slotted in at, at the four spot. But one of the things that I like about Torrey Craig is if you look at it, He's shot the low 30s from three in his career, but last year he had a career high of about 39.5% while averaging the second most attempts per game in his career. So, um, you know, even if he gives you a little less than that, I still think he's giving you a solid contribution in terms of a shooter. We already know what he can do, you know, defensively, and he brings, I think, really good length to the to the rotation. So, I'm really looking forward to what we, we see from Torrey Craig. So, yeah, I, I also had him at, at number five uh, for top role players. So. Yeah, and I think one of the one of the more important roles to play on this team is, is also just pushing and being another outlet for Patrick Williams, uh, mm-hmm. somebody else we're heading to learn from. Um, obviously, he's gone to the school of DeMar DeRose in these past couple of seasons, but to hear – you know, the best of what Tory Craig can offer him in terms of advice, somebody who is kind of in his wheelhouse in terms of the kind of player he is. Um, and maybe he can be, he, he can become a supercharged Tory Craig one day. Like I think that's going to play a, can play a, a big part in Patrick Williams's development moving forward. That's a really good point too. I mean, it's always good to get a little bit of that like friendly competition and also see, you know, what does that guy do well? Can I actually bring some of those elements of that to my game? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the things, too, like you kind of look back when uh, when Thad Young was on the Bulls, like some of the things I think he did for Patrick Williams early on there. And it was a shame that that didn't, I think, continue on um, in year two and maybe even, you know, this past year, having somebody like that to sort of uh, push him in, and model portions of his game after. Yeah. Yeah. So, so right. number four. Number four. Number four. So I've got, <laughs> coincidentally, the other free agent signing 
and that being Javon Carter as the fourth most important role player for this upcoming season. Um, obviously, I think there's a lot of chatter about who's going to start at point guard for this team, and Javon Carter is obviously a, a name that, that comes up in competition with Kobe White. Um, but I just think that he is going to – whether, whether or not he starts, he's going to give this team another reliable shooter, um, a heady veteran, obviously somebody who can hold his own on defense against a couple of different positions, um, small, on a smaller end in terms of his height, but he's going to be a, a boon for this team, I think. Um, you know, if we're looking at this roster in comparison to what they had last season and looking at, you know, if we, if we did this top eight going back to last year, like I think this top eight is better than that top eight. And Javon Carter is going to eat into the minutes. I think that Ayo Sumu got last season. Um, but ultimately I got the two free agent signings as being the fourth and fifth most important role players. I'm not sure if that <laughs> is a good sign or a bad sign, but that that's where I am right now. Uh, boy, man, you were you looking at my list? Were you looking at my <laughs> list, Drew? Okay. Hey, man, great, great minds, man. Like great minds. I number four. I also had Javon Carter, and kind of the same reasoning, like bringing that element of shooting and defense to the roster. And like I've heard some people say he's a more skilled version of of what Pat Bev gives you, but I mean. I think it kind of discredits him a little bit because I think there's more skills there in terms of shooting from the field and from behind the arc. If you go look at and compare their, their numbers side by side. Um, yeah. And the other thing too, with, with Carter, I feel like the more responsibility that's put on his plate, the more he's shown that he can do it. And so I'm curious to see how he performs this year and what shakes out with the bulls. Like, I think no matter what happens, if he's starting, coming off the bench, I think it's a solid piece to the rotation. Um, I know you kind of said there, as you were kind of going through, like the two free agent signings being four and five. I don't know if that's a bad thing. I do think there's some some other key players here that we're probably going to get to. But I think it kind of, you made a really good point. I think it speaks to where we were at last year. And it does kind of put me in a, a spot where I feel a little more confident in who the, the role players are on this team, because in a vacuum, I think Tory Craig and Javon Carter are bringing two desperate areas of need shooting and defense to this roster that I think, you know, needs it. And I don't know, it makes me excited as to see like what's, what's going to happen and, and how this kind of shake shapes up with, you know, Carter competing for that starting point guard spot, Craig competing for that starting power forward spot. Um, you know, even if they don't get it, those are going to be two key role players even coming off your bench. I'm glad you said it that way. You just made me feel better about <laughs> about uh, where our lists have kind of gone so far. Um, yeah, man. Uh, those are the fourth and fifth, in our mm -hmm. opinion. Yeah, <laughs> top role player for this season. All right, so what about three? Is three gonna? Are we gonna finally deviate a little bit here? Who's your third? 
Oh, man. So when you first brought this up to me a couple weeks ago, I immediately had my top three. Like I knew, or at least my top two. Today, and even as we're recording this, I've gone back and forth in my head in terms of the order I want to put these three players in. But because I think that we can agree that their biggest issues so far in this DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic, Zach Levine era has has been almost inexplicably on the offensive side of the ball, I'm going to put Alex Caruso at number three. Which, <laughs> even as I say it, I get, I don't know, man, I feel a little uncomfortable saying it. But the reason I'm doing that, obviously, Alex Caruso is a big part of what this team does. I mentioned earlier that he's part of the glue that keeps this thing from falling, falling, falling to pieces. Like, he's as important to the defense as DeMar and Zach is to the offensive side of the ball. Um, last couple seasons, he's led the team in plus minus. Like he's just he he's, he he wins possessions for this team. He gets them extra possessions. Um, can guard up and down a positional ladder better than anyone on this team probably. But because we've seen this team play over the heads defensively, <laughs> I have decided to even in this moment to kind of lean away from the defensive guys, like the, the the guys who are more defensively inclined, I guess. Like if you were looking at their, their pluses and minuses on a scale and those scales were weighing their defense and offense, like their defense is weighing down what they can do on the court. Hopefully that makes sense. So that's where I slotted Alice Caruso. Um, and again, like these top three, I've been going back and forth in my head, but that's where I am right now. How about you? Okay, so we're, we're finally deviating here at number three. So I, I guess that's a good thing for the listeners here. But um, let me just say, like, before I get to my number three, this person was also somebody that I kept flipping from two to three. So when I reveal number two later, uh, you'll see. But number three for me is Patrick Williams. Now, mm-hmm. some are going to say he should be number one, but I think they're – I have two other valuable pieces in the short term for this coming season, and – Spoiler alert, one of them is one that Drew just might have named. Um, <laughs> now, having said that, though, I I do think Williams has a chance to flip the narrative for the entire bowl season. Like, to me, these top three that we're getting into, I think, are going to play really game-changing roles. And that's not to discredit Carter and, and Craig, but I think these next three are going to do that. I think Williams is one of them. Because um, I think he's the I think Williams is the ultimate X factor on this whole list and on the whole roster. Cause I think at minimum, I'm probably expecting some level of improvement, shooting, scoring, and rebounding. And I think we're poised to see a version of, of Patrick Williams that we saw post all-star break at the very least, which I think would be, you know, a nice rotational piece that could help this team win games and play a key role down the stretch in games. So even finishing games, if need be, if, even if he's not in that starting lineup, um, I really think the spotlight for Patrick Williams needs to be put on Billy Donovan here more than it does Pat. And yes, do, does Pat have to work on things on his own and and take, you know, certain strides to make himself more aggressive and you know be more efficient? Sure, but I think it it's up to Billy Donovan to put him in a a spot to succeed. 
and find him that right role for him to excel. And I think that means staggering him in with more minutes for, with the second unit. I think he should come into camp with the goal of taking this, the starting four spot. Mm-hmm. But I think that Billy shouldn't hesitate to move him to the bench before the season starts, especially if you find he is you know, dominating second units. And if you continue to see him not having that same aggression with the big three on the floor, then limit those minutes with, with those guys. Put him in those positions where, you know, he could be in more of an alpha role. You know, he doesn't have to be Kawhi Leonard 2.0. If you can get the most out of him, if you're Billy Donovan, just put him in those positions to succeed. Because I do feel like there were moments last year where they were just trying to force the issue and try to make it work when it wasn't working. Like, I think Pat needed that opportunity to play with the second unit and pl- and get into a position where he could be more assertive. So... I don't know. I guess I'm it could be unfair, but I'm I'm putting it more on Billy Donovan to try to find a way to make it work, because I do think Patrick Williams has a chance to be that ultimate X factor for this team. And look, if the development is there and the the switch flips this year to where he can be assertive, even if it's with the big three or on the floor, that's going to change the the whole arc of the Bulls season, in my opinion. I brought that up on Bulls Gold and I brought that up on previous episodes we've done here, Drew, but I think it's just trying to figure out like what's that floor, what's that ceiling. So that's why I put him at at number three on the list. I appreciate that argument. I think you make a great point about specifically how Billy Donovan uses his rotations. You know, what would a bull season be without, you know, us as observers and fans um, kind of being critical of the rotations that we see Billy Donovan deploy <laughs> on a game to game basis. Um but I still put more of it on Patrick Williams' plate. Like, I need to see him live up to what his teammates, past and present, think that he can be. Like, I need to see that, that switch flip for him, um, whatever that means with his role with this team. I just I need to see him show it. I need to see him show and prove, kind of like what Mark Eversley said in his kind of um, tour de force around different podcasts and uh, media outlets. Um, what was that a week ago? A couple weeks ago? Yeah, it was so, a couple weekends ago with with Bulls Fest. Yeah. Um, okay. So you actually you have Williams third in the pecking order. He is my number two. Mm. I think that you said it, and I think everybody who watches the Bulls would agree that he is undoubtedly one of the two players most in control of how high this Bulls ceiling climbs. And while I want to be optimistic that his game can continue to grow and he can take not just a step, but an actual leap toward, again, the player that his teammates think that he can become, I just, I just, you know, I, I need to see it. I don't want to say it's not going to happen, but I just, I, I need to see it. And um, I just don't know that he can take that big of a step forward. Number one, because of his kind of um, 
his nature. Like he's he's not a like you said, he's not a an assertive or hasn't shown himself to be an assertive player on the court. And then number two, just the guys he's playing with. Like he's still playing with three ball dominant players, and they're gonna eat before he can. You know, they they're gonna get more rations and is what gonna be doled out to him. So he has to take what he can get and he has to deliver in those moments. Like he has to do more with less, you know what I mean, in terms of opportunities. But um, I think the guy that I have at number one, I feel more confident in what he can bring to the offense in particular to make this team better than what the prognosticators think is going to be. Well, this is now, I think, shaping up kind of interesting because I'm going to get to to my number two here. And and this is I literally was jockeying Alex Caruso and Patrick Williams back and forth. And I ended up going with Alex Caruso, too. Um, and a part of it actually plays into what you had mentioned earlier, like with Mark Eversley. I think Mark Eversley's comments were kind of interesting where I think they're basically saying, like, maybe they're not expecting that big, big surge from Patrick Williams this year. Um, like we've kind of heard in the past, it seems like they were kind of, you know, hyping him up as like taking that next step. And I think this year it's just like, Hey, look, just give us some level of consistency. Like mm-hmm. try to get to that aggressive level, but like, we just want to see you take healthy strides this year. Maybe not massive, you know, leaps up to all-star caliber form or anything like that. Like, I don't think they're trying to, lump things like that on his plate and so i think that's why i had patrick williams three alex caruso i do think is going to play a key role in 2024 and i think that's why i gave him the nod at number two because you've seen what he's done the last two seasons he is an elite level defender he made all nba you know defense for a reason and this is somebody that you know billy donovan is going to deploy any chance he gets I would not be surprised if he ends up back in the starting lineup in some way, maybe even playing the power forward spot, which sometimes mm-hmm. makes me want to pull my hair out, but <laughs> it's, it would not surprise me. And that's why, you know, I'm also looking at it from the lens, I guess, of how the bulls would view it. And in this case, to me, Alex Caruso, I think is going to be a bigger rotational piece this year than, than the guys we named prior right like i think he's going to be that wild card that whatever you want to call it that billy donovan's always going to throw out there at any point to stop a run put him into a starting lineup where he thinks there's an advantage in terms of rotation i just think you're going to see a lot of alex caruso because part of the bull's success in the second half we talk about pat bev but i think a big part of it was alex caruso once Alex Caruso was inserted, you know, more into the starting lineup, I think that's where you saw a lot of, um, you know, positive changes for the Bulls last year. So I think that's where I would not be surprised if that continues this year. And that's why I put him at number two. Yeah, I completely understand <laughs> different points of today. I had him at, as my number one as well. Like, mm. it, it's going to be hard to get him off the court in crunch time, I think. Billy trusts him in those spots, uh, rightfully so. Um, everything you said, you know, feeds into that fact. You know, this he was a part of three of the team's top lineups by net rating and minutes played last year. And again, he's just 
he just wins plays. Like if you if you if you were to take each play that he's on the court and grade it as a W or an L, like he just gets W's, man. He just he stacks W's and it leads to the Bulls playing better basketball than they would otherwise. Um, that's why it was a tough decision for me to put him where I put him. But again, I'm, I I settled on my list in terms of this team needing to get off the ground offensively. So, you know, if you or anybody else wants to blame me for where I put Alex Caruso, that's that's my reasoning right. for where I have him. I'm not at all trying to discredit how important he is to this team. I, I'm telling you, I think one through three, you're kind of getting into hair-splitting territory. And that's, again, nothing against Javon Carter or Torrey Craig, but I really feel like, and I'm also guessing who your number one is, but I mean, context clues. Um, unless you're going to shock me and have Dale and Terry up there, but you know, I think what you're seeing here is like, it's very, when you, when you're doing this exercise, you're starting to see like, Oh, okay. These are like, you can make an argument for any of these in the top three being number one. Um, Mm -hmm. so I guess let's get to it. I mean, without further ado, Drew, who's your number one? I think it's going to be the same as mine. My number one player is the Kobe White. Mm. <laughs> oh man. Um <laughs> Kobe White uh, is is coming off his best year as a pro. Forget that he averaged career lows in points, field goal attempts and three-point field goal attempts. He just played with a confidence and a bravado that we hadn't seen before at least not in sustained stretches. And I think that him having this new contract, him continuing to gain confidence, getting a second consecutive summer of good work in, I just think it spells a breakout season for him, whatever that's going to look like against him playing with you know, three ball dominant guys at different points during the season. I don't know that he'll start, but I think that he is going to be responsible for this team, again, being better than what many people perceive it can be. And that's based primarily on what he can do for the offense. You know, Javon Carter and Torrey Craig should give this team a boost defensively and just in three-point attempts, the way they can get the, get their shots up. But Kobe, Kobe White remains the best playmaker outside of the big three. He's still a knockdown shooter. I mean, even over the course of the last 23 games of last season, which is essentially um, after the All-Star break, he scored 11.6 points a game. He shot 49% from the field. from three, and he dished out four and a half assists a game and led the team in plus minus per game um, after the All-Star break. Now, some of that is Mm -hmm. skewed a little bit because he played in that Dallas game that the the big three sat out, but I don't have any reason not to believe in, in Kobe White given what we just saw him do this past season. And... It's going to be important for, obviously, this team to 
be better offensively than what they showed themselves to be these past couple of seasons. It's going to be incumbent upon Billy Donovan and his staff to make this thing work better than we've seen it work. And I think that Kobe White, whether it be in closing stretches, you know, to close second and third quarters, whatever the case may be, him being next to Zach and DeMar and, and Vooch is going to be a big reason why this team, you know, wins upwards of 43 or 45 games next season if that's to happen. So I've got Kobe White as my most important role player for the upcoming season. Well, and same here. I'm, Kobe White's also my number one. I think you laid out all the points pretty eloquently and, and spot on to what I was going to get to. And, you know, one thing that I'll kind of add, though, is with Kobe, I've always been a, a big fan of his. From the moment the Bulls were in a position with the seventh pick in 2019, Kobe White was the guy that I wanted them to take from the get-go. So when they got him, I was pleasantly surprised. I was pleasantly surprised during his rookie season. You know, I thought he did well in spite of bad development and coaching. I was rooting for him hard in his first year with Billy Donovan. I thought he was uneven, but still very raw, very young. Even during the, you know, previous season, I was still pulling for him hard. And I remember leading into the 2022 campaign, I kept saying like, you know, Kobe White could be a guy that ends up finishing games for you. It, it's going to be nice to have him as a rotational piece. And that's, you know, that year he kind of, I think, tapered off a little bit. But last year, and you brought this up, even with career lows, the eye test told you everything you needed to know. You just saw him play with a different type of bravado, play with a different type of confidence. And I think it's no coincidence that you know, that post-All-Star break stretch, we bring up 23 games, and there's 23 games where Patrick Beverly arrived. But I think it also did another thing where it reset the rotations a little bit, right? Like, it reset the way Billy Donovan deployed certain guys on the floor. And I think it deployed a better way to use Kobe White. Now, some of that also did happen, and it should be noted, a good chunk of that happened, I think, even in early February. But... I think it's not a coincidence that you saw that happening with that reset. And Kobe White was a big part of that. Um, I'm happy he's back with this team. And, you know, I think at the very least, it gives you confidence that there's at least a young piece that might be developing on this regime's watch. I know he was drafted by the previous administration, but he's done most of his development under this regime. So, I'm really excited and encouraged to see what he does this season. So that's why I put him at number one. And I think, you know, Drew, there was a big love fest when we were on Bulls Gold last week. There was a lot of talk about Kobe White this upcoming season. Yeah, there there really was. And I think that's just it, – it's, it's, it's crazy, right? Because <laughs> last summer it was, man, we need to get – assets or the Bulls need to get assets for Kobe White because he just is not looking like he's going to be what this team needs. You know, he was coming off a rough first playoff series against the Milwaukee Bucks where he wasn't shooting the ball well. And had it not been for Alex Caruso getting hurt, he may not have, you know, 
saw the court as much as he did down the stretch of that series. But um, I think it just it speaks to how well he played. And it's, it's, it's so – it's crazy, man, because the, the stats just – they don't – they do a disservice to mm-hmm. what he showed everybody throughout the season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think – the developments that he made. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think if you if you look at Kobe White in the 2023 season, like you really start to see it. It starts to sort of come alive towards the end of January, but really like from February to April. So again, that that post All Star break stretch, I think, is where the bulk of that starts to happen. But I think there's just something that you know just came alive at that point, because you start looking at his, his numbers after that, like much higher plus minus much better, you know, in terms of just scoring output and even three point uh, efficiency down that, that portion of the season. So, um, you know, (laughs) I keep thinking this too, when we did our preview, remember we did like over unders and one of our over unders for, previewing the the season last year was how many games will Kobe white be in a bulls uniform until he's traded. <laughs> and I think our like over under no, number, I'd have to go back and look was like 25. Mm. <laughs> we, we both, I think, and I, again, I'll go back and, and check this out and report in the next episode, but I think we both still picked the over on that, but it's just crazy. Yeah. The narratives completely changed from one year to the next on Kobe white which is great. And then I think it's a testament to everything he did too. Yeah, it really is. And just, I think, um, uh, like how, how important it was for him to actually get some good off season work in. Cause I think there was two or three off seasons where, where there'd be COVID or an mm-hmm. injury where he just wasn't able to ramp up the way that he would have been able to otherwise. So, um, you know, he's, we've seen the work ethic, um, We've seen him make improvements on the court, whether it be defensively or with his ball handling and decision making. And I think that there's still more room for him to grow. And I I have confidence, more confidence than I ever have that he can grow into the space that he has in front of him. No, agreed. And I think even seeing like a lot of the videos of him putting in work I, I mean, I try not to buy into a lot of that stuff, but I'll, I'll be honest, like I'm pretty hyped watching him like put in work this off season because um, just seeing how he responded to, I think some of the, the stuff happening last year, seeing how he played last year, I can't wait to see how he's going to perform even, you know, now and knowing he's putting in all this work after getting paid. I know, you know, sometimes you hate to always bring that up, but you know, not everybody hits it as hard once they get their big payday. And Kobe got paid. Like the Bulls showed that they're confident in him, and I love to see that he's still putting in that work. So, yeah, man, I'm I'm really excited. Now, I actually have one quick question. I want to get into some of the the names that were left off this list, but if you had to predict right now, as it stands today, which of the two of these five role players that you ranked, do you think is going to crack the starting lineup? Hmm. Which two of the five? 
Yeah. Which two of the five that we rank do you think will crack the starting five? I think I, I still lean Javon Carter and, and Patrick Williams. Okay. What about you? I so yeah, like I I keep wavering back and forth. And originally when we had started this started talking about, you know, the Bulls roster when the free agent signings were made, um, I said Javon and, and Patrick. That was my prediction. I think I'm going full meatball and flipping to to Kobe and, and Patrick Williams. I think <laughs> now, again, I do reserve the right to change my mind, but I really feel that this front office, and I even think that it's an extension, I think the coaching staff too, I think they're high on, on Kobe White. Like, we heard so much about Kobe White from Mark Eversley. And, you know, now... Again, he could still be a very highly productive player coming off the bench, and he could be the person that's closing games out for the Bulls, which is just as important as the guy that starts games. So, you know, that's true too. But I just get this feeling that it's setting up for Kobe White to be the starting point guard for the Chicago Bulls. And I do think that it's going to be Patrick Williams starting um, at power forward. Now, again, though, kind of getting back to a previous point I made, I think you still have to find ways to kind of like stagger your lineup, right? So you just don't like, it's not like playing NBA 2K, right? You're not going to just like sub out your whole, you know, starting five for five guys on the bench and vice versa, right? So I think it'll be interesting to see how Billy Donovan kind of deploys different rotations. Like what guys on the bench are going to kind of get staggered in with, you know, the starters and like who the big three end up playing with that are, you know, off the bench. It, I think those kind of things I'm fascinated to see we get into the season, but I just have this feeling it's going to be Kobe at the starting point guard spot, Patrick Williams at the starting four. Yeah. I wouldn't be mad at that, man. I mean, um, that probably would be like their, their best offensive lineup. You know, everybody's a catch and shoot threat. Um, You have, what, three guys, four guys who can put the ball on the deck and, you know, either drive to the rim, shoot a pull-up, or, you know, create a play for another guy. So I, I, I wouldn't – hey, man, I'm not mad at that lineup, <laughs> not not one bit. Um, but like you said, I'm, all, I'm, I'm even more intrigued about who closes for Billy Donovan this year. He's He's got presumably a, a wealth of options to choose from um, considering what he hasn't had the past couple of seasons. Agreed. And, and he can get creative based on the matchups that are there, right? Because there could be games where Alex Caruso finds his way into closing games. Maybe it is Tory Craig closing out a, a certain game. Like he has that, that ability to deploy whoever he, he sees fit. And I think there's a lot more quality there than there was last year. Um, so there were some names, of course, left off this list. Um, Ayodosumu, Andre Drummond, uh, Julian Phillips, Dalen Terry. Um, I, I'll kind of just explain from my end, at least on on one of these guys. Ayodosumu, I still think can be a key role player off the bench for the Bulls. I just think that these five are going to be way more crucial to this team's success in 2024. So it doesn't mean that 
I think Io is going to be trash. I think he could easily leapfrog, you know, somebody that's on this list. Like, would I be surprised if, yeah, I'll just spitball it. Um, you know, he ends up outperforming Tory Craig at one point. Sure. Or outperforms Javon Carter. Yeah. I mean, it could happen if he mm-hmm. takes a bigger leap. That's, I wouldn't be shocked. Could I also see him filling in for somebody when they get hurt and playing a significant role? Absolutely. You know, it, it could happen. Like, you know, Alex Caruso is not known for, for durability. Like he deals with a lot of nagging injuries. Wouldn't be surprised if Iodesumu fills in admirably in those situations. So I'm definitely not discrediting Iodesumu. Um, Andre Drummond, think he's going to get minutes where, you know, Billy Donovan sees fit. I think it's going to be very similar to last year. He comes in based up, based on matchups when size is needed. I think, you know, Terry and Phillips are different stories. I'm not as concerned about Phillips because he's a second-round rookie. I think his time could come later. Um, and again, you never know. I think there's going to be spot duty where he might get called on if somebody's hurt. I guess I am a little concerned about uh, Dale and Terry, though, because, look... He was the number 18 pick. Um, I know he was a project, but he was the 18th pick in the draft with Walker Kessler still on the board. And here we are in year two, and there's uncertainty about kind of where he stacks up in this rotation. Like right now, you know, we don't have him in, in our core eight players, right? Even with a 10-man rotation, I don't see him cracking that at all. No, I, I don't either. I'm maybe I'm just caught up too much in this upcoming season and not looking too far ahead. But um, while he has his warts, like I think it, it obviously doesn't help Dalen Terry that he's on this kind of team that has a plethora of guards on it and that continues to try to push for the playoffs and not so much development of its of its younger players like. It's just kind of the way the cookie the cookie crumbled for him. Um, I, I don't know really what's gonna become of Dalen Terry's career as a bull, but right now he's kind of on the back burner. Um, I, I think there's a real chance that he plays even less minutes this upcoming season than he did last season, um, and maybe even more of a chance that Julian Phillips sees a little bit more time than than he does, just for sake of position um mm-hmm. you know not saying it's going to happen but i can i can see it uh possibly happening well i mean think about it. you're a little thinner in the front court and so mm-hmm. it's a little easier i think to deploy somebody like julian phillips in that case right like we know you know alex caruso's kind of used as this this unicorn with billy donovan and might find his way at the four but you know if, if somebody in that front court gets hurt like I think Julian Phillips seems like the most logical guy to maybe take some minutes, you know, just in case, even if it's, you know, small number, because everybody kind of gets bumped up then. Right. Like if Vooch got hurt, then Andre Drummond's going to get more minutes by extension, you would think. And then when that happens, you need somebody to spell him. And I know it would make sense to kind of get some size in there with Phillips. So um, I guess then for you, like IO, is like I, I mentioned, I still think he's going to play a, a big role. Just didn't crack the top five when we talk about role players, but 
I mean, what are you seeing for him this coming season, Iowa DeSumo? Um, similar to what you said, like I think he's kind of a utility man or will be used more of like a utility man this season. Um, come in maybe in some spot moments. His defense, obviously, is, is still his calling card. Um, he gets to the rim really well. He finishes really well, I thought, uh, or he did finish really well last season, I thought, when he put his head down and, and made up his mind to get to the rim. But for him, when he does get those minutes, the thing that can keep him on the floor is going to be his shooting. If his, if his three-point shooting, um, you know, takes a jump up or, you know, it shows itself to progress back to what it was his rookie season, then obviously he's going to – He's going to be deserving of more time within Billy's rotation. But as of right now, I think that um, the way the guard room is set up, he just isn't in that initial, obviously, eight-player mix that we that we talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, like, again, you, usually I feel like during a regular season, you can go anywhere from eight to ten in a game. Um, but when you start getting into, like, crunch time or – you know, you get in the playoffs, that's usually right. You, you shrink it. You tend to shrink more to an eight-man rotation. Um, so, like, kind of like this exercise was also a way of doing that, too, because we know that big three is there, and then these five probably are going to find their way into those those big games, like play-in games and playoff games. Um, yeah. But, you know, if, if Io was going to eat into somebody's minutes, who do you think it would be? Like if he did develop his shooting, is he eating into into Javon Carter's minutes at that point, or is like Billy gonna have to like kind of reimagine, you know, the rotation a little bit? I think it would be Javon Carter's minutes if if he's able to find his three point stroke again, just because he's a bigger player, he offers, um, you know, a, a very good facsimile of the defense that Javon Carter would play, but he also gets to the rim. It's not mm. just spot up shooting or pull up pull up shooting from long range um, that he would be giving you. So I th- yeah, I think it's Javon Carter. Mm. Yeah, I and it's and that's not necessarily a bad thing either because you know it doesn't mean Javon Carter's playing like crap if that happens. It could just mean you know you want to get Io on the floor, and this is where I think I, I know I've mentioned this a lot with Billy Donovan. This is where it's going to be on him to really find ways to look at these matchups game in and game out, look at ways to just stagger these lineups together, you know, try to get the best guys in the game at the right time. Um, Because I do think like to go back to what we said earlier, I think this just shows you like the rotation going into this year, the, the players on the roster are better. Now we can argue about championship ceiling. Like, I don't, think anybody's arguing that like now you know the the bulls i don't think got themselves into title contention i do think they got themselves at least a better roster that i think is going to keep them within the playoff conversation um you know where they're at in that pecking order can be debatable i think the eastern conference as we talked about with the bulls gold crew gives them a, a puncher's chance which um i think says something i do think they're going to be in a better position than they were last year. I know that's still kind of being debated amongst Bulls Nation. Like, I've seen some folks, like, I, I think I saw him in, like, Elias Schuster say, you know, from uh, Bleacher Nation Bulls that, 
you know, I, if anything, they're going to be in that same spot they were last year. I, I think they're going to be better than that. Like, I don't think they're going to be... Could they be in the play-in fight? Sure, but I think could be in a different situation where they're not... I think, uh, you know, trying to uh, barely get under the 500 mark, right? Because, you know, as I mentioned, like, they were only over 500. I think at the after the ninth game of the season, I think they were like five and four. And after that, they never saw, they never went over the 500 mark. I think there's going to be more trips above 500 next year. I guess that's not saying a lot, but it is definitely (laughs) a better position, I think than last year. So I guess that's my like one bold prediction. Maybe I think they will be slightly above. I I think they're going to be above 500 at most points of the season this year. Um, No, I agree. I agree. I mean, you know, we can say it's not saying a lot, but I mean, we we saw those games last year where they just didn't have the energy. They just kind of looked listless and, you know, it was at the height of, man, this front office needs to just tear this down, re- rebuild, retool, whatever the case may be. Like we, we saw, we lived through that. So we, we know that how bad it, how bad it can get you know, um, with this team kind of staying as it is. So for you to say that you think it's going to be better this upcoming season, that's I don't think that's any small feat. I mean, you know, they're not going to tear this thing down. So we have to look at this thing through a different prism. Like we have to kind of put that out of our minds and just look at it in the sense of them trying to push for the playoffs, which I think they're in a – a good position to do, or at least a better one than they were last year. To your point, as we wrap up here, let me throw this out to you, Drew, because yeah, I keep citing our episode that we were guest on, guests on for Bulls Gold last week, and I felt like coming out of that conversation, I felt like I I, I start gulping Bulls Kool Aid. Because, and I wasn't expecting that because I feel like both, you know, Salim and Edward are very measured. I think they're, I share a lot of similar opinions with both of them where I would like to take more of a big picture approach and really find a way to rebuild this roster. But I will say their points about the Eastern Conference kind of coming back to the pack and there being drama does have me thinking that you know, if you play this right, and especially with the start of the schedule where you can feast maybe on some of these opponents and you have some games at home where you can stack up wins. If you if this roster is better than we think it is and they do get off to that hot start. I then kind of wonder, like, does that maybe change the narrative for the season? Do they make that move with the DPE and get themselves even a bigger upgrade to the rotation. And then, you know, if you finish the year on a high note too, like let's say you, you get through the, you know, playing, let's say you're the seventh seed, you get through the playing and you make noise in a seven game series in round one, love for them to win it, win a first round matchup. But let's say you, you make noise. What's to say you don't end up becoming an attractive destination to somebody. I'm just, Maybe I'm getting a little too optimistic. Or what if you get off to a hot start and you end up in a position where you're a playoff team, not even a playing team, maybe the fifth seed, 
and your 4-5 matchup, you win it, you get to round two. Like, this is me now just, I think, trying to get blind optimism, but it's kind of the position we're in. Like, it's it makes me think. Like, am I crazy to start thinking about those scenarios, given where the Eastern Conference is now? No, I don't think you're crazy to think about those scenarios. I think I'm... I got to I got to think about that. I got to let that simmer a little bit. Like what if they were to either force like a, a tough, tough first round playoff series against a higher seed or even um, advance to the second round, like what that would do for the front office in terms of how they view this team. And will we see them triple down on this, I, <laughs> on this core that they have. I got to, I got to let that simmer for a little well, while. <laughs> I'll throw this as a follow-up. Do you think that's feasible, given where the roster is right now? Could they do those kind of things this coming season? Or do you think, no, like where their big three is and where these rotational pieces that we just talked about now, like collectively still not enough to even do that? Wow. Um It's all, it's all on matchups, man. I, I think, I think, you know, there's a chance of it happening. And I probably wouldn't put any of my hard on earned money toward it happening, but I think there's a chance that they could push somebody in a first round series or maybe even advance to a second round, depending on the matchups. You know, these these things look one way on paper and then the season rolls around and you know, we get thrown for a loop as as basketball fans and, and observers. So I don't want to just say never to to what you just brought up. I just don't think the odds are in their favor of that happening. Well, and I think, I think it requires one of those rotational pieces that we brought up the role players to maybe play a little higher than our expectation level. So whether that's Patrick Williams or Kobe white, I think one of those guys has to maybe take a a significant step up, not saying all-star caliber, but, Take a significant step. And then I think it's really incumbent on one of those in the big three. Um, either taking a step up or at least the three of them maintaining that similar pace they had in the second half of last year. I shouldn't say second half post all-star break, right? Like mm-hmm. if they do that, I think that scenario I laid out to you is possible. And, you know, I think it also opens the door to, what the Reinsdorfs might be willing to do. Because again, we talk about the disabled player exception. If that opens the door to even bring another key piece into your rotation, I mean, you know, now we're now we're in a little bit of a different boat. So I think I'm just trying to be, I guess, blindly optimistic that maybe, maybe that can happen early in the season and that could change maybe the direction and potentially the fortunes of the Bulls. And Maybe it's sad that that's the kind of optimism I have to have. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, our, our lot in life as, as Chicago Bulls fans, man. Can't have nice things for too, for too long. Actually, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to wrap up on this topic, Drew, um, okay. because I, I think it, it kind of ties into to this and it, into that statement you just made. So it kind of gets us off the the discussion about the roster, more big picture. Um, 
So for Chicago sports fans, especially those who are White Sox fans, <laughs> you know, what just happened on the South side, you know, two executives that have been with the team for a long time, Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn, fired last week. And, you know, there's sort of like this, all these reports about the kind of like the weird kind of lack of, I guess, defined roles between those two and, and sort of like this dysfunction within the organization, even some dysfunction now as they're trying to hire an, a new executive. It sounds like it's going to happen internally, which is just so bizarre to me um, with possibly Chris Getz getting promoted. Um, but it speaks to that weird dysfunction. And, you know, I feel like we used to talk about that with the Bulls a lot. And while I think the Bulls aren't perfect by any means, and I still think there's flaws, I will say this, and I don't know if I'm if I'm on an island here. While they might not have the spending that a lot of other teams have in the NBA, and I think that's been more of a detriment, I do mm. feel like there's a sense that everybody's kind of pulling on the same end of the rope within the front office and even down to the coaching staff. Like I do feel there's a sense of alignment between Arturis Karnaschovas, Mark Eversley, Billy Donovan. Like, I don't feel like there's cracks there, you know, who knows? It could be wrong in a couple of years and we find out a whole bunch of stuff, but I just feel like maybe there's better organizational alignment than we've seen maybe in the past with, other Bulls teams. Am I crazy for that? Or like, do you think I'm maybe over rating that and making that comparison to like what just happened with the White Sox? Uh, no, man, you're, you're spot on. I think this front office between Acme and, and Billy Donovan, they have been on one accord and, you know, to hear them tell it, they're in constant communication about the team and, um, kind of what's what's going on in any given moment so no I, this you know it's a it's a far cry from the end of the Tom Thibodeau and <laughs> Gar Foreman and, and John Paxson days it's it's, yeah. it's a different day in in that regard you know um well, on court results not you know <laughs> kind of leaving those by the side and just looking at the front office in the co- in the cohesion there it's it's a different ball game no, you're, you're totally right on that front. Like, it doesn't excuse what's going on on the court. And I still think it doesn't excuse, you know, Acme from, you know, not looking at other ways to improve the roster. Now, I think that there's still the common denominator that I think is really important. Like, I think the spotlight is still kind of on the Reinsdorfs. And, and you know, I think the White Sox situation kind of highlighted how Jerry kind of has that lack of clear organizational structure happening with the White Sox and kind of has a lot of infighting and, and weirdness going on. And I do think that that was very common with the Bulls when I think he was more involved in day to day. I feel like maybe Michael has possibly brought a, new, a different level of professionalism and more buttoned up, you know, structure. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I think the, the one thing that I also kept thinking of is it, there's still going to be that specter of, of Jerry and the frugalness that comes with it. Um, I don't mean to say this in a bad way. 
I am curious to see what happens with the Bulls once Jerry's not around. And I, I hate to say it like that because um, I, I feel like it, you know, you kind of know what I'm hinting at. Um, and I am not wishing that upon, you know, him. I hope he w- lives a long life. But, you know, you get what I mean, though. Like, yeah, when he's not around, could things possibly change? Because I really am curious what this could look like with a different owner. Like even how Acme would do their jobs without that kind of weird, you know, rules that are laid out from the top about the luxury tax and things like that. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's just natural, man. Um, Having seen what Jerry Reinsdorf, how he operates as a, as a, as an owner, um, of two sports teams in town here. Like it's, I think it's, it's natural to wonder about how things may change, how the status quo might change um, once there's a change in leadership. And I think that's only natural. And of course there's, <laughs> there's, there's no uh, shortage of vitriol that's been aimed his way in the way that he handles both of both the White Sox and the Chicago Bulls. So it's, it's natural to me. Yeah, I remember we had a an interesting conversation uh, right around I think it was around the trade deadline with uh, with Buzz from on tap, and it was really interesting when you start seeing like those parallels between the two organizations, and it's hey, there, there's one common denominator with it with both those teams. So, um, you know, uh, hoping that you know for our our Sox friend Sox fan friends who listen to this podcast. It gets better from them over there. And, of course, for Bulls fans, I hope that, uh, you know, maybe this year's a slow step towards a little bit of recovery. Um, So, Drew, before we get out of here, any final thoughts just uh, on the exercise we did on the Bulls in general? Um, Man, I I think that this was an awesome awesome topic that you brought up and – uh, I encourage anybody who listens to us and listens to this podcast to look us up on Twitter and hit us with who you think is in your top five most important role players and let us know if, you know, if our list is in alignment with yours. Because uh, I think this it can go a lot of different directions, especially uh, those last three or those top three spots, I think. Yeah, agreed. I I would love to hear that. I I love it. You're telling telling the listeners to get interactive. I love it. Um, <laughs> definitely would love to hear uh, what your thoughts are. And hey, maybe they maybe they think Iodizumu deserves to crack that list, or Andre Drummond, or Dalen Terry. We don't know. It's very possible. Yeah, I would question yeah. I would question your decisions a little bit, but hey, it's fine. <laughs> um, I, I'm I'm kidding, of course. Um, and, you know, Drew brought up Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter at rebuild underscore a underscore bull for the latest episodes and even, you know, thoughts that are retweeted by us. And you can follow us. Um, I'm at mgenteel 88. Drew is at look what Drew did. So, again, that's on Twitter X, whatever you want to call it. So used to saying Twitter, I guess I should start calling it X. But then do I really want to do that? Eh, whatever. You, you all get it. <laughs> you can also follow 
the podcast by subscribing. So wherever you stream your podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, you name it, we're there on all the major platforms where you get your podcasts. So we'll be back with some more episodes here before we ramp up to the regular season. Again, it'll be a lot of fun because there's some interesting things I think that Drew and I can get into here ahead of all of that. So for Drew Stevens, I'm Matt Gentile. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you stream your podcasts.